I got to make a shout out to uh, Multimedia and Sound. It was really good today, you guys. Huh? Yeah, thank you. So um, I wasn't going to do this, but I was reminded. And when little girls get prompted by the Spirit to remind the pastor, I better get on it. So uh, Jada, my daughter, came up to me. And she said, we better pray for Kayla, because Kayla uh, lost her dog. Her dog was, had to be put down because of sickness. So I think we better do that. Lord, we come and we're so thankful this morning. So many cool songs. Uh, and it's not about the songs, but as me and Josiah even prayed, it's the spirit of the worship team. Um, it's the spirit that also shows through the words of the songs what a magnificent God we serve. And Lord, uh, lots of stuff happens. In fact, we, we even sang about the, the, the song that talked about we see your glory through the storms. So storms don't stop when we become Christians. Storms are there. And right now, uh, Kayla and her family are going through a little storm because, you know, they've had a pup for, I don't know, 12 years or something. And those little guys wiggle their way into our hearts big time. So we just ask that you be with Kayla and the rest of the family. They're missing a good friend. And we're thankful for our uh, animal buddies. And Lord, uh, thank you for all the creativity, including the pets that you give us. And we just ask that you would now be with her and her family and help them through this stormy time of their life. And I thank you that she's got little friends like uh, Jada too who you know, taps me on the shoulder and says, you gotta pray. Are you praying again today? You gotta pray for Kayla. So that's what we're doing together, Lord. Thank you. And I pray that this is even instrumental stuff in Kayla and Jada's life. Raise up our kiddos to love Jesus. Raise up our kiddos to understand that whatever age they are, they don't have to go and rebel. They don't have to do the things that the world says, but that they can be disciples of Christ even now, setting example in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. A friend of mine brought up an interesting post from Facebook. One of her friends went on a rant uh, about acceptance and tolerance, especially espousing the values of fully condoning any kind of sexual relational choice. So they went on about it and then talked about people that were intolerant and especially pointed out Christians that were intolerant. And if you can't fully embrace what I am espousing here now, unfriend me now. So it was just like, woo, right in your face about if I happen to think and I don't think exactly like this person on, my fa on Facebook, then I must unfriend her immediately. Interesting. Interesting. In other news, yesterday the, in, or on Friday, the U.S. State Department began implementing a requirement that nearly all U.S. visa applicants submit their social media usernames their, pass, uh, their, uh, their previous email addresses, passwords, phone numbers as part of the application process. So this will affect up to 15 million people. So right now, if you want to get a visa in the States, you'll now have to give up all your Facebook and Instagram and all that other jazz. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're told, do not judge. And then the U.S. is saying, darn right, I'm going to judge. And then on Facebook, it says, I can't stand you judgers. So I'm going to judge you right now and unfriend me because I'm judging you for judging me. I'm going like my head is full right now. Because it seems as though the, even a definition of tolerance is shut up and believe what I think or unfriend me. But today, don't get me wrong, today is not about sexuality. Uh, this is not a sermon on sexuality or any of those kind of preferences, all that jazz. Perhaps today's a sermon on thinking. Maybe it's on communication, conversation. Maybe it's a sermon on learning uh, how to respond. Or maybe even a sermon on learning how to graciously be the underdog. I'm not sure. But I think it's a fascinating time to be alive. The church has consistently been accused of being judgmental, small-minded, and hypocritical. And now it seems as though if the church has any thought 
or contributes to any kind of thoughtful conversation that is different from the world or culture's main view, now we are judged. Does that make any sense? I'm going to ask the ushers to come up here. And I want them to hand out. We're just going to do this real quickly. We don't want to take a lot of time. Uh, I want you to grab a stick. Please don't use it on your neighbor. Some of them could be sharp. In fact, I was going to hand out this morning, I was going to hand out um, skewers. But I don't, know, I don't know all of you. So I was chopping off the, uh, the sharp part of the skewers, and, I thought, and then I came across these stir sticks. Anyway, hold on to those stir sticks, because today we want to talk about judging. So when you have those stir sticks, I want you to pay attention here, and maybe um, I'll just wait a moment. Even if you want to just hand out a, a whole bunch to the, every uh, row. And then we have the passage behind me, and maybe what we can do to get this across um, more obviously, do we have the passage behind me, Guadalupe? Okay. Um, maybe put that stick in front of your eyeballs, and let's read together. Or if you want, if you want to go hardcore, jab it in your eye. No, don't. But uh, if you want to keep the stick in front of you, we can do this and read this together. This is what it says. Ready? Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. It's a little, you know, when that thing's in front of your face, it's a little more challenging, right? So now I'll go on. You can join me if you wish, but you definitely don't have to. Uh, Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher. But the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a stir stick (laughs) or a log in your own? um, uh, How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. I got to stop there for a second. Is that's where I was going to take the sermon today. And this is difficult going through the Beatitudes, you guys. This is amazing stuff because this is not something you're just supposed to whip through. This is some stuff that you got to chew on. Psalm chapter 1 talks about um, that we meditate on the word of God. And meditate at that point has connotations to almost like a dog getting a bone. Or if you get one of those dongs, you fill it full of peanut butter. And that dog, his tongue goes in and out and through and under like he loves that dong. Or my dog hides streets all over the house. I never know where they're going to be. And he comes back to them and he loves on them. He just makes them his slave. And every part of that bone is part of every taste bud that my dog owns. And that actually is what Psalms is talking about, that we meditate or gnaw on the Word of God. And I think the Beatitudes are really important because if you just can quickly go through it, you're going to get some whacked out ideas of what the Beatitudes are talking about. We actually have to gnaw on it and be submissive to the Holy Spirit of God because there's some very juicy stuff in here that could really change your life on how you treat others, how you view yourself, and your relationship with the Lord. Verse 43, I think, gives us a fantastic picture of how to go back to the previous verses. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. 
kind of interesting. You go back to those verses, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Does that mean always? So if I'm a good tree, will I always, 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 always have good fruit? Is that what it's saying? If that's true, then I should not be up here today because some of my fruit is a little smelly. Some of my grapes look like raisins, shall we say, right? So it's interesting because here, as somebody else points out, it's really, I think it was Bach that points out that it's important that when we look at this, we're not just looking at an event. Arthur does something, I go, Arthur, out of the church, unfriend me on Facebook. I don't want to be your friend anymore because we're actually looking at a whole process of life, not just simply somebody makes a mistake or does something out of character. In fact, Ron Burgess said this to me a long time ago. You have this beautiful apple tree in your backyard. This thing has served your family so well over the years. Just perfect apples. You pluck them and you, you bite into them and the juice spreads everywhere and you're going, I love my apple tree. One year, it puts out fruit there. You're going, what is going, I can't, what? And you go to the shed, and you cut it down because it has disappointed you one year. Would you do that? No, but do we do that to each other? Yes. Unfriend you, unfriend me. That's kind of what it's saying is that a good tree produces fruit. And yes, we're going for maturity. Okay, so in, in uh, I think it's the King James says we're going for perfection, but we're going for maturity. And at one point we will not struggle with it. When we're in the heavenlies, when we're with the good Lord, we will have no distractions and we'll be sin free. And tear-free. And the people said? Amen. Isn't that cool? But now we're moving toward maturity, and a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. But sometimes a good tree does have some kind of raisins on it, and sometimes a bad tree or an evil tree might even put out a, well, that's a pretty cool piece of fruit. So we got to pay attention, and we have to be thinking Christians. Really important. To me, this last part here, what you say flows from what is in your heart. To me, this would imply that they do flow. And I hope you can follow me on this. You do, it does flow. In, in, the, in other words, we are involved and we're called to be involved and we must be involved in correction and admonition ministries. Now, I know this is kind of scary because we're looking at this passage that says, do not judge. But yet, what I'm telling you now, it says, is there a time for judging? Is there a time for questioning? Is there a time for correction? Is there a time for admonition? And when we look at this, it seems as though even from the last verse, what you say flows from what is in your heart. There's a flowing, there's a treasury. In fact, uh, Matthew in other places says, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. So if my heart is full of garbage all of a sudden it's going to come out. And if all of you are too timid to say anything to me, then all of a sudden anything goes. And then the world looks at us and goes, there's absolutely no difference between a Christian and anybody else. In fact, they're worse because they yap over here, but they do that over there. So there's absolutely no quality control. And it seems to me, and this isn't easy, because I'm not saying, now go ahead, and if something bugs you, if you can't stand something she or he did, yeah, go ahead and let him have it. That's not at all what I'm saying here. Because this is a hard job. Why? Because we're going to see in just a moment, I think there's some other verses that can really guide us in the spirit on how we go about, quote unquote, judging. So here we go. The gift, I would say, of bearing good fruit. We are not... Um, called to be judgmental of others, but we're called to help judge, and we do that for the gift of growth. Our discipleship should produce fruit in each other. So when you apply these five principles, act now for just 1995, I will send you this sermon, just kidding. But for these five principles, you'll be involved in fruit-bearing discipleship. So again, we rewind back to the beginning of Beatitudes and Sermon on the Mount or Sermon on the Plain and we know right from the beginning this is not just about me and Jesus. This is about us. So it's just not about you. You can live off in the bush somewhere and nobody judge me. I won't judge anybody. It's just me and Jesus. No. It's always been about the nation of Israel. It's always been about the church and the church is God's people. 
So it's a really big deal that you get out of the individualistic mindset, if that's true. So could it be, in verse 38, it said this, given you will receive, your gift will return to you in full, pressed down. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there because there is a principle of generosity there. There is a point where it's saying, you need to give because I'm a father of lights who loves to give good gifts to my kids. If you want to be like me and reflect me, you will also not be greedy and you will be generous with your time, with your compliments, with your money. Kind of interesting. But I would like to just present to you, and I'm not going to die on this theological hill, but it says you're given, you will receive, your gift will return to you in full. What if that's pointing back to the verses previous and saying your gift to not judge and to condemn, your gift to forgive, your gift to give, your gift to lead, your gift to live authentically. Would that not be a gift to the world, you guys? That they actually start looking at us and going like, man, I would like to judge those guys, but jeepers, they are nice. They're, just, ah, they're hard to hate. And I think if we would actually set the standard in being careful how we talk and how we judge and how we condemn and how we forgive and giving and leading and being authentic, I think that would be an incredible ministry to a hurting world. There's an admonishment here to be careful who we follow. It even says here, in, it's talking about be careful students who you have as your leaders or your teachers. And he's talking even to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious people of the law, and he's saying, Josiah, don't just follow a Pharisee because the Pharisee, the blind, is going to go into the ditch and you're going to follow that guy straight into the ditch. Use your brain and use your spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is available to each and every one of us. Now use discernment. So we have a living and active relationship. I want to say today, too, that it's incredible when we start looking at this and respecting it like the word of God. Remember, he ascended on high, Jesus did. And then when he ascended, who did he send? What? And where is the Holy Spirit? And everywhere. Right? In Christians worldwide. So now we start looking at this, you guys, not just as a text, blah, 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 but actually, the, remember Sermon on the Mount, people came down the mountain, they came to be near Jesus and to look at him. They came to hear from him. They came to obey. They came to be admonished. They came to be healed. They came to be delivered of demons and things like that. So now, if I had Jesus right here today, I could stare at him in the eyes and he would have that ministry. Well, is there a chance that he still has that ministry and still wants that ministry in your life? But this here is the word. And he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. So we get to look at this, the written word, the written Jesus. This is the written Jesus. And the Holy Spirit of God living within us helps us apply this to our lives. So it becomes alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Be careful who you follow, he says, for your own sake and for the sake of people following you. But let's be honest. I like people watching, and judging is fun, isn't it? You sit at an airport and just judge people. It's awesome. You just look at, the, oh, man, I can't believe he's eating that. Oh, he has a diet. Wow, wow, wow. You know, and you just love to judge, judge, judge people. I think, if we're honest... Judging is fun, but it sucks to be judged. So you have these popsicle sticks, and what I really meant to do was grab a ginormous one because really what it's showing, and Bach is illustrating this once again, he says this is like the main beam of your house. In fact, these guys are renovating now, and he wants to remove a beam. And that ain't no popsicle stick. So we're talking about let me put a beam in my eye, and now, Elaine, I'm going to help you with that. I think you've got a speck there. But meanwhile, if I turn, whack, whack, I'm going to hit everybody. I'm going to take out all people because I have this huge beam. But don't worry. I'm your pastor. You can trust me. So it's a ridiculous, huge, like such an obvious illustration to show that what are you doing? I have all of this troubles and I don't ever bother looking in the mirror and judging myself. But boy, I love to judge you guys. So he's not telling us 
not to be involved with admonishment, correction, and judging. And I, I say, I, I hate using judge too because it's been so abused. But we actually need each other as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We need each other, you guys. So if my spirit is every time you come to me, and you need to come to me in a good spirit too. I think it's also important that you've been hanging out with Jesus and you got the green light from the Holy Spirit and then maybe come with asking questions. And I'm always not perfect at this either. But when somebody comes to that now, if they have a point, what am I going to do with that point? In fact, Dave Edwards, who used to stand up here, he just says, he called it the dung theory. When people really dung on you, you know, then wash off and look for the nugget of truth and put that nugget in your pocket. I like that. But many of us, we just snap right back and unfriend, unfriend, unfriend. So I want to frame today's passage with the spirit that we find in two passages. One will be Galatians 6 verse 1. You don't have to turn there. You can just mark it, whatever. And one is out of Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 is fantastic. And it does come to this uh, where it's talking about marriage relationships and relationships within the, within the family and church. And the part that I want to say in Ephesians 5, starting at verse 25, husbands, this means you got to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And Christ gave his life for her, the church, his bride, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Jesus did this to present you, his church, his bride, to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. But instead, when it comes to judging and all that stuff, I have had people in my office, husbands talking about, well, he, she's not submitting to me. And the other way around too is the woman, well, he's not loving me. And I'm looking at, the, and I'm just going, this is unbelievable. The whole spirit of the marriage was kind of very toxic, Right? But here it's kind of interesting because uh, what's easy to do is we want to judge others. So if my marriage isn't going so well, I look, at, I look for scripture. Oh, wife, submit to your husband. Totally taken out of context. And I go, Jody, look what the word of the Lord says. But I only start at verse whatever that is, verse 24, and I skip verse 25, the one that I'm, saying, I'm supposed to love her so much that I'll give my life for her. That's, that, I'm sure we're supposed to take that figuratively. But submit to, to Steve, that's literal. But that's how we do things. We don't want to look in the mirror. We want to look at you, but never me. So it's kind of interesting. And, and, and Galatians 6, too, talks about if somebody's having trouble and needs to be restored, you who are spiritual, restore that brother or sister. So we never actually judge because, oh good, finally you screwed up. Get out of the church or get, I unfriend you because I'm so sick of you. You know what? Always the spirit behind even having a tough conversation of growth is you're hoping to restore a person. Restore them to a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ and to each other. That's the goal. If you come and you can hardly wait to judge somebody, you are wrong. Mark that down. You're wrong. If you're coming just to be a jerk, Mission accomplished. You're a jerk. But here we're talking about the whole process of restoring people and helping each other become this beautiful, pure, blameless, without blemish bride in Christ. Imagine that. That I actually at one point get to present Jesus with a beautiful Jody. Now she's beautiful enough, but I'm hoping that because she's met me, she'll become even more a beautiful woman. And I know the opposite is true. Because of who she is, she rubs off on me, and I'm getting, no comments here, but I'm getting better. <laughs> I hope, right? So the whole spirit is for us to be mature and to restore one another and to present each other pure and blameless before Christ at some point. So all of these things, could it be that they're gifts to not be quick to judge and condemn, to forgive each other, to give, to live authentically. So here we go. The number one thing that he's telling us not to do, and I'm not going to go through that whole passage. It's way too juicy. 
But one thing he's telling us to do right off the bat, he says, we are not to set ourselves up as judge. Yes, we're involved in admonishment, correcting, and, and l- assessing a situation and going, sheesh, maybe I should have a coffee with Richard. Maybe I should have a coffee with Jody. I'm, you know? But these are things that need to be taken really seriously and in the spirit of looking into the Lord's word and being driven by the spirit of God and not your own ego. So, do not set yourself up as judge. Judge... Mental spirit, judge, uh, judgmental spirit often reflects a self-righteousness or an unreflective or insensitive heart. And like I said, one guy said in 6 verse 41, the word for, blank, or for plank in Greek is dokos and refers to the main beam of a, bu- of a building. Bach says to judge uh, the tree's fruit, we don't look at one particular moment, but we look at a period of production. We look at a period of production. So again, we don't just look at one event and go, wow, I thought Steve was a Christian. No, I may drop the ball or I may have done something stupid or I may have been ill-informed or I might be hangry, angry because of uh, I'm hungry, couldn't find a banana or whatever it might be, right? The theologian and astute scholar Um, Josiah Wall said, I have heard it said multiple times about this passage that we decide the way in which we are to be judged. Our judgment is up to us. It is quite something to think about that Christ says that the judgment we will receive will be the same way that we treat others. Judgment often in Christian circles, I like this, judgment often in Christian circles masquerades as discernment. I like that. When really all we're doing is sitting on the judgment seat condemning those who need God's grace. This ends up falling back on us. Absolutely. Sometimes we spiritualize stuff and say, I'm discerning something. No, you're just judging. Stott, bless his heart, he's gone on to glory. But Stott says, if we enjoy occupying the, the bench, you know, the judge, if we enjoy occupying the bench, we must not be surprised to find ourselves in the dock someday. In the dock someday. The command to judge is not a requirement to be blind, but a rather a plea to be generous. Does that make sense? So when he says don't judge, lots of us stop there and we don't think any more about it. And that's so sad to me. So now sometimes I see a brother or I see a friend or I see a kid or whatever and I honestly want to help them become all they can be in Christ. But they have been told, don't let anybody judge you. Don't let anybody have an opinion. Then all of a sudden, uh, we've neutered ourselves. We, we can't speak into each other's lives ever. Well, that's nuts to me. I get to coach right now. I'm coaching uh, age six boys and stuff. And these little boys, so they come and some of them, you know, they need correction, <laughs> right? And it's really cool because most of the parents absolutely beam. I, you know, I, I had a kiddo that uh, at one practice, he was doing something over and over again that was not correct. And I coached with a great guy. And finally, we're looking like this is becoming dangerous to somebody else. So this little kiddo... Um, Apparently, the, the, the mom came later and just said he was about to quit. He was so discouraged. But as coaches, the other coach went over there and just talked, helped him understand how safety issues and stuff like that. This kid now is probably one of the best on our team. Like he just went from wanting to quit and being like, uh, to all of a sudden like, oh my goodness, this kid's leading now. And it happens that quickly. So it's important that we understand that when he says, do not judge, he's not saying that we never ever are a part of admonishment, but actually that we need to be generous. Stott says, Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men or women by suspending our critical powers, which help to distinguish us from animals, but to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God. I'm going to say that again. I love this one. Okay, Stott says, 
Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men or women by suspending our critical powers, which help to distinguish up from animals, but to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God. In other words, setting ourselves up as judges. So now I sit on the throne and all of you come in on a Sunday morning, I will judge whether you're living a Christian life or not. And that's what we are not called to do. Nowhere in scripture are we called to set ourselves up as God. That's his job, not ours. But I think so wisely, Stott says, but yet we are called to be wise and discerning. And a part of our faculty is we're not dumb. We can look at a situation and a person and evaluate and then help a person become all they can be in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So it's important. I'm totally going against culture here because culture's saying, no, that's, that kid's their problem or that per- that's his problem. Don't, just don't get involved. Look the other way. Like, and I think that's a huge problem these days. I mean, I want people to be kind to my kids, but if they're doing something, and it's happened here where people have corrected my kids and I, I hear this situation and I'm glad because I need to trust other adults to speak into my kids and I need them to do so uh, with a good conscience, with us being spirit-filled, but also setting an example. Because what did the rest of Scripture say? That if you don't have a good leader, the blind lead the blind, you both fall in the ditch. So if we actually have a whole room of caring, loving, discerning, spirit-led adults that are watching over our kiddos, how awesome is that? We're going to raise up a whack load of kiddos that know how to love and know how to be the church and we get to present these kiddos as pure and blameless, spotless um, bride of Christ and they in turn will do the same. And then all of a sudden, thousands and thousands of people in 50 years will be impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is exciting. What was happening here is in Jewish culture, he had to say do not judge because sometimes what would happen is not only judgment, but prejudgment. So I look at what a person is wearing, or I look at the gold on their fingers, or I look, uh, you know, like even what's happening in India or whatever with the Dalit. We know where you're born, we know what region you come from, you're garbage. So here he's also combating that, in just that you like to, oh, he's from this family, oh, he's been discipled by Gamil, oh, okay, fantastic, yes, you may, you know, and all of a sudden, there's this judgment happening, and nobody gets into the club of this religious environment, and he's, again, condemning that, saying, no, 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 that's not what this is about, but I have to admit that judge, one of the reasons judging is fun is because when I judge you guys and I see inconsistency in you guys, then I feel better about myself. Man, I'm a good guy. You know, I just got to be a little bit better than you. You run 5K, I'll run six, right? Or, you know, you eat a huge meal, I'll just cut back a bit. I'll have a salad, then pat me on the back. Whatever it might be, we love to judge one another. I just have to have a better marriage than you, then I'm a fantastic godly guy. That's not what we're about here. Galatians 6 verse 1, Ephesians 5, we get to present and we're restoring each other and we're helping each other become mature in Christ Jesus. We love to apply, we love to apply ethics to others, but not necessarily ourselves. Matthew 7, which is also part of the Beatitudes and which is also part of the Sermon on the Mount, This is what it says, and it says it a bit differently. So listen up to this. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. There's the golden rule. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eyes when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, here, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This all seems the same, but Matthew adds this. Don't waste what is holy on people that are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls. 
then turn and attack you. So I don't know if you're getting this, but it's just like, what? Is this out of context? Did they miss something here? But listen to that. It's the whole thing about do not judge. Be careful. You know, pay attention to the plank in your eye when you're looking at the speck in somebody else's eye. And then also it says, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Are you telling me that even me being a part of Dale's life and maybe some, sometime a ministry of correction, that's actually a holy calling? What do you think? So I get to be a part of your journey. You get to be a part of my journey because we're helping each other become all we can be in Jesus Christ. And he says here that don't throw, um, sorry, sorry, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a pig. I don't want to be a Schweinhund. Right? <laughs> Apparently there's a, there was a, uh, somebody sued somebody in Germany because somebody says, ah, oh, you Schweinhund. Ah, they were so offended that they actually sued them. And what it means is pig dog. How dare you call me a pig dog? Whatever that means, right? Schweinhund. It sounds way better in German. Schweinhund, yeah. Um, but it is an absolute, it's not just a slap in the face, it's a backhand. When you call somebody a Schweinhund, it's like, um, being very, very, very offensive. But here also, what offends Jewish people? What animal? It goes oink, oink. Go ahead. What? Excellent. You guys are sharp. Yeah. So it's offensive stuff. He says, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. And I'm going, how can I, maybe you're not like me, but how can I ask myself this question? How in the world can I not be a pig? Or what steps can I put in my life to not become a Schweinhund? So we go back here and it says, make like a tree that bears good fruit. In our passage, remember that? Make like a tree that bears good fruit or make sure that treasure is in your heart and don't be like a pig or don't be like a Schweinhund. So you look back here and listen what Proverbs says. Don't waste your breath on fools because they despise the wisest advice. Don't waste your breath on fools or pigs for they will despise the wisest advice. Now go back to our passage in Matthew and in Luke and for me to think, that guy there, he's just a pig. I'm not even going to give him advice. That's wrong. Now I'm doing what he was combating, prejudging people, that I don't even waste advice or give you perhaps wisdom or give a word or a word of knowledge. I don't do that because I have judged you. You're too dumb or you're a pig dog. You, you can't handle what I'm going to give you. So we're prejudging. And that's not our role. Could it be that when you offer a discernment or you just ask a question to a friend, could it be that they might bite you back? What do you think? Absolutely. It is a scary ministry sometimes. But there are times, give it a week or two, where all of a sudden a person comes back around. I know I've been like that. Sometimes I just, I don't want to hear it from my wife. But then the good old Holy Spirit comes on by and kind of deposits the same message. And then I have to eat some crow. Proverbs 11 says this, a beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. A beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. So in the context here, just a beautiful woman, we all turn our heads like, wow. And then all of a sudden she opens her mouth or you watch her in action, you're going, she's not attractive whatsoever. Outside looks good, like a Pharisee, but the inside is rotten, full of dead bones. Fools do not see the value in admonition. They do not see the value. Proverbs 9 verse 8 goes on to say, So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. But correct the wise because they will love you. Really interesting here. So, hey, kiddos, you too, when your parents say again, Hey, 
they probably are correcting you or helping you or coaching you because they actually see potential for you to become even more. So not every time your parents open your mouth is it a negative thing because their job is to crush you. No. We take our hints from God the Father. God the Father isn't out to be a killjoy or a crusher, but he actually has big things in store for us, faithful things in store for us. He wants us to become all we can be in Christ. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you, but correct the wise and they will love you. Wouldn't you rather be wise than a pig? Wouldn't you rather be wise than a beautiful woman with some inner snout? So maybe before we judge others, let's do the litmus test on ourselves. Just think about all the different uh, variables when we judge others, the filters. I am more quick to judge people when I'm grumpy or hungry, or I am more quick to judge people when I'm not happy with myself. In fact, I think some people love to judge others. They might just be bashing alcoholics and then all of a sudden you realize that they too have been struggling with drink. Or porn's a good one. We love to... And then all of a sudden you realize that, whoa, this guy has some kind of online addiction. So it's really important here that we look into the mirror and pay attention, but... We're not saying do not judge. We're saying pay attention and look in the mirror and let the Holy Spirit reflect back what's going on in your life. It's very important, you guys. So here, here's maybe a litmus test on ourselves. Just think about all the different variables when we judge others. How is your relationship with Jesus Christ? If you haven't cracked open your Bible for a long time and you haven't talked to Jesus, but all of a sudden you have this incredible gift of discernment, you probably don't. Or if you still think you do, maybe go back to the Word of God and pray about it. Be open to the Holy Spirit of God because we're talking to another person in your life. And we can help make or break people sometimes along the whole highway of discipleship. Are you being led to speak into that person's life? Are you being led to speak into that person's life? You guys, I have sometimes been in inconvenient uh, situations where somebody's on my mind. I might be on a run or I might be something else and it's totally inconvenient but there's this name that just keeps popping and I ignore, ignore. Okay, and I turn around and I go and I'm obedient to it. I'm not always obedient to it but I'm just saying there's times where the Lord is obviously calling me to something and I need to be discerning and realize, wow, the Holy Spirit obviously wants me to do something here. It's time. Another part of the litmus litmus test, if you're looking at somebody, is there a chance that what bugs you about this person is a trigger for you? So you, you have to judge this person or you have to give them a word of admonition because the pain of hanging out with that person reminds you of the pain that your dad instilled upon you when you were a kid. So all of a sudden there's this flood of emotion and triggers and you end up being a part of actually really hurting somebody else because of your own issues. Because you have not looked in the mirror of the Holy Spirit. So, is this about you or is it about their spiritual growth? And I think, to be honest, when we're a part of this ministry faithfully, it's about our spiritual growth. If I actually step out in obedience and have a conversation with somebody that helps them become all they can be in Christ while they're becoming who they can be in Christ, and now so am I, because I've stepped out on obedience. We have to, in this whole litmus test, also pay attention to background. We also have to pay attention to how long this person been a Christian. Because sometimes we like to get at, sometimes we like to say, you know what, Holy Spirit, you can have the day off. I got this one. And we don't let the Holy Spirit work in somebody's life because we take that role and we correct somebody. We want them to go from A to Z in a couple hours flat. And it's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like sometimes people, we watch a little bit and go, oh, now I understand what's going on there. Sometimes you only heard half of the conversation. You heard half the conversation and you go, I'm the judge here. I can't believe he said that. And you get involved and it will hold the bus. 
Or sometimes it's as simple as this. A filter that we can have is sometimes you have had a lame day. Or sometimes they have had a bad day. And they put out one little raisin in their vine of grapes and you're on them like white on rice. You got to take it easy. But we are called to be part of each other's lives. We are called to be the file that sometimes takes care of the burrs on each other's lives. But when I say that, be really careful. And I could probably say, say what you mean, mean what you say, and don't be mean when you say it. And be led by the Holy Spirit of God. Be looking in that mirror, paying attention to, is there something that the Holy Spirit wants to tap on your shoulder and say, Steve, this has got to change in your life. And when I go to the word of God or when I pray about something and maybe something bugs me about somebody, Holy Spirit might just say, actually, I don't want you to talk to him about it. That's happened to me too. I was so fired up about something that I think I could be fired up about. And somebody says, do you want me to you know, phone a manager? And in that moment, I felt, nope. Because I think the Lord was doing something in my heart, even though he was being a jerk. But the Lord was doing something in my heart. Be open to that stuff. So I think a fantastic way for us to start this whole ministry of judgment is with communion. Communion. When it comes to communion, you guys, one of the things that we are called to do is actually judge ourselves. So it's really important when we look at this is you have to have healthy ways to judge yourself. So do we judge ourselves by other people? Corinthians says no. They that compare themselves by themselves are not wise. So you don't look at somebody else and go, at least my marriage is better or I'm a bit more spiritual or I have devotions more often than them, therefore I'm in with God. That's not it at all. We're actually here looking at the elements today and we're going to be looking at obviously the cup, the new covenant in his blood, and also the broken body of Christ which is symbolized by the bread. We look at these and then... What Corinthians says, what Paul says in Corinthians, let a person examine him or herself and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. And let me tell you, it is a bazillion times easier to let the Holy Spirit speak into your life and change than push it off, push it off, push it off, and then the Holy Spirit sends somebody else. It's much more embarrassing and awkward. So if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, there's an area of your life that you need correction, pay attention and just do it. I was telling Josiah, and I think I've told you before, but in, when I went to college, the, the, the third-year people, well, they were just a bunch of pigs, Schweinhund. And I had to clean, as a gratis, I had to clean their classroom. I hated it. It was the worst. But to keep costs down from the, from the college, I had to clean the, the uh, third-year's room. Hated it. And I actually had this sense that uh, I should probably do a better job, but I hated it. So I'd kind of sweep. I wouldn't go between desks. I'd pick this up maybe, sometimes empty the garbage. You know? And um, I did a lame job. Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, Art comes and he says, hey, Steve, can I talk to you in my office for a second? Sure, Art. And I sit down with him. Steve, what's your gratis? Uh, cleaning the third year. Pardon me? <laughs> cleaning the third year. Okay, so would you say you're doing a pretty good job of that? He didn't have to. Like, he wasn't a jerk about it. Just asked the question that the Holy Spirit had been asking for days, right? So now I felt like a knob. Like, I'm just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. So I went back, you guys, and I started cleaning that classroom much better. Still probably not 100%, but much better. And it was interesting for me to see the blessing in it because as I kept it clean, now I was actually training the third years to keep it cleaner. So when it was a pigsty, they treated it like a pigsty. When I kept it clean, they kept it clean. Cool, eh? Probably doesn't work for your teenagers, but... <laughs> oh, man. It's important that we look into our own hearts and let the Holy Spirit examine us even before we come to the bread and the cup. This is, a, this is one of the only things that we actually do. This and baptism, these are kind of rites that we look at. 
and we kind of look at it as a point of we need to do this, we've been called to do this because it reminds us of what Christ has done for us. It reminds us what you have been saved from and it's also proclamation that you guys, this is a grace, a powerful grace, a powerful love that we experience and now get out of here and spill out onto other people. This is not just for you. This is for us and beyond. So this is really exciting. So as you look at yourself and you make changes and now you kind of solidify that and thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness or thank you, Lord, this afternoon, I'm going to have a chat with my husband and say sorry how I treated him this last week or the opposite, my wife, whatever it might be. But to take action on what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you is really important. Communion in uh, the book of Corinthians, I sometimes go, why in the world did God put the book of Corinthians in the Bible in the first place? Or why do you put in that order? Because Romans is so powerful. And then you go to Corinthians and you're going like, oh, some of those guys are gross. And it's a church. You know, you're going like, some of the things going on are nasty. But it's interesting because they're new Christians and they're totally screwing up. But by the grace of the Lord and by good teachers like Paul, he is helping them out of a ditch. And now they're following Paul and Paul's staying out of the ditch. That's what he's calling us to do. That's what he's calling us to do. The church in Corinth was wandering everywhere, but yet they're bringing them back to that true north. We don't want this to happen to us. We want, like we said, to keep in mind that spiritual conversation of Galatians 6 and of um, Ephesians 5 that we're presenting each other pure and blameless and our goal is restoration our goal is maturity in Christ. So now when we come to the table, the same thing is true. If you're sitting there going, I can't have communion today because of how I acted this week. Okay? The good Lord wants to deal with you now. Not tomorrow. Now. So you can take communion now. But it's important to have a good relationship with Jesus Christ. And by a good relationship, I mean also paying attention to the things that he's calling you to obey. What's he calling you to? Eating and drinking together of the communion elements vividly depicts our union and solidarity with Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, and the source of our spiritual life. So we ought to take time to examine ourselves to ensure that our relationship with Christ is authentic and genuine. And let me tell you this. I think the world, it might take a while, but I think the world and culture would at one point breathe a gasp of fresh air if they find it really hard to pin hypocrisy on us or to pin judgmentalism on us when they have an honest conversation with themselves. Because we will be people marked by authenticity. We'll be marked by judging each other or admonishing each other to become better, to become more mature, to restore one another, to help each other. Imagine the world looking into that and going, man, I wish I had a friendship like that. I wish I had somebody that I could trust like that. And we have that. That is the body of Christ. And we're called to do that. Could I have the worship team come on up along with the servers and let us enjoy communion together? As they uh, worship or as they lead us in worship, I'm just going to ask that the, uh, the ushers will hand out communion to all of you. You can hold on to it and then we'll take communion together. <laughs>